we had spoken about the different levels of the neshama. We have uh, the lowest level is called what? Nefesh. Nefesh. Then you have Ruach, and then Neshama. Then we get to Chaya. Okay. So we're going to start talking about Chaya. We might get to the highest level, which is Yechida, but we'll start with Chaya. So let's just go over. The Nefesh level of a person has to do with what? What's the nefesh? The goof. The goof. What else could you say about the nefesh? There's ruach, nefesh, ruach, and shema. What's nefesh? Life. Life. What else is nefesh? Miracle. No. Well, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. But what's nefesh in our life? Oh, Kabbalah's oil. Kabbalah's oil? Yeah. Okay. In other words, uh, nefesh is the part of the uh, neshama that gives us the energy of kabbalasa, which means of serving Hashem, even if we don't understand. Nefesh is saying, you don't need to understand Hashem to serve Hashem. You cannot understand Hashem and still serve Him. That's nefesh. Ruach is what? What's Ruch in our lives? Midas. Midas. A passion, feelings towards Hashem, that's Ruch. Then we have Neshama. What's Neshama? Right? Understanding Hashem. The ability to understand. That's Neshama. Okay, then we get to Chaya. Okay, now what's Chaya in our lives? Huh? Yichida is the highest. Right. So, so Chaya. Chaya is... You know, what's Chaya in our lives? Right. It's huh? Ratzin. Ratzin. Okay. It's Ratzin. So that's what we're going to focus now about. Ratzin. What does that mean? Ratzin means will. What does that mean? What does Ratzin mean? Ratzin of Hashem. Huh? Ratzin of Hashem. Ratzin of Hashem? Or to Hashem? We're talking about the, the, the level of Chaya in our Neshama. So it's Ratzin. It's Ratzin. So it's Ratzin to Hashem. Right? Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you have Nefesh, just the <coughs> level of Nefesh, which is you're dedicated to serving Hashem with Kabbalah soil, accepting the yoke of Heaven, so let's speak to Mr. Nefesh, the guy that has Nefesh activated, and ask him a question. Do you want Hashem? What do you think he's going to answer? What will he answer? He'll say, I don't want Hashem? Okay, let's go to Mr. Ruach, the one that has his meters. You ask him, do you want Hashem? I really want Hashem. He'll say, I want Hashem, right? Well, what's he going to say? Mr. Ruach. I love Hashem. Yeah, he, do you want Hashem or not? Yeah. Ask Mr. Neshama. Yeah. Uh, Neshama understands Hashem. Do you want Hashem? Yeah. You want Hashem, okay. So, and what's Chaya? Mm. I want Hashem. You want Hashem, you don't want Hashem. Yeah. You want Hashem. So why are we saying that Ratzin, will, is connected to Chaya, 
Don't you have rotzing by neshama, by ruach, by nefesh, you want to argue yes or no. Okay, nefesh we could argue. But ruach, you want Hashem, <coughs> neshama you want Hashem. Okay? So what's the accomplishment of Chaya? You want Hashem. What did Chaya accomplish? Without Chaya, you want Hashem also. Because on, on Ruach, on Neshama, you want Hashem because of something. Because you understand it, you have, because you have an emotion, Chaya, it's I want Hashem because I want Hashem. Oh, that's right. That's right. Chaya is you want Hashem because you want Hashem. Right. Neshama, you want Hashem for a reason. Yeah, because you understand. Right. Ruach, you want Hashem because you feel. Nefesh, you want Hashem because you're committed. Okay. So in all these cases, you have a reason. But Chayas, you want Hashem because you want Hashem. Not because of a reason. Right? That, that's unique about Chayas. This is Yes? Uh, how does it relate to if it does it Samal Chadashi? I'm curious, is the nefesh literally this nefesh that we're talking about? No, 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 because when you use the word nefesh, it could mean different things. We're discussing nefesh when you compare it to the other levels. But by Simcha Nashi, that's our whole soul. It's not necessarily okay. one of the levels. Okay, so the question is, uh, do we each have such a rotten to Hashem? We have such a rotten? Yeah. So, if I have such a rotsin, could I go to sleep because I have it anyway? Is there any, is there any input on my part? Let's say, for example, ruach. Ruach is a passion to Hashem. Now, I can't go to sleep with ruach. But, you know, I've got to do something about that. Huh? <coughs> it, keeps, it keeps you up at night. It keeps <coughs> you up, okay. Well, what are you supposed to do to develop the ruach? The passion to Hashem. What are you supposed to do? It is. Yeah, you have to learn, you have to focus, you have to think. There's a lot of avoid involved. You can't just go to sleep. Okay, neshama. Understand, you can't go to sleep, you gotta work. Neshama is a whole project, you gotta work to understand the greatness of Hashem. When it comes to Chaya, what is it? Rotzin. Okay, you want Hashem. Why do you want Hashem? Because you want Hashem, there's no reason. Find the reason. Ah, so that, that's what Chai is. I want Hashem. So I'm going to sleep. I want Hashem anyway. Okay? So is there any avoider involved in this Ratzin? Is there anything we, we, could, we, we, we do to, to get this Ratzin? Or we have it anyway. How does this work? Okay. So, so we have to understand... Uh, what Rotzin means in our lives and, and how we activate it and uh, the impact it has on Nefesh Kuch Neshama, the impact it has. Because um, we have to think about if a person has all these powers, Nefesh Kuch all these powers, which is the most powerful one? Which is the strongest one? If you compare these four, which is the strongest one? So we'll see Chaya is the strongest one. That's the strongest one. Okay, so how do you develop it? Okay, so to understand this more, we're going to change the subject.
and speak about one of the laws pertaining to a judge. And uh, it's called shoychan. The Torah has a prohibition. A judge cannot receive shoychan. What does shoychan mean? Bribery. Bribery, right? A judge can't receive bribery. Now, what's the reason for this mitzvah? Why can't a judge receive bribery? Why not? Perverse justice. Huh? Perverse justice. Right, right. That's like very obvious why you can't receive, you know. But let's dig into what this means. A judge can't receive bribery. Let's dig what, that, what this means. There's different types of bribery. One is that two people are fighting. One of them goes to the judge and he says, listen, here's $10,000, okay? We're pals. There's a court case tomorrow. Here's $10,000. We'll talk again tomorrow. Okay, that's one type of bribery. Where that's about perverting the justice. That's about lying, being dishonest. That's one type of shoychad. But there's another type of shoychad, of bribery. This is the other type. You have this judge, the shoychad, and uh, he's a tzaddik. He's a very righteous person, holy person. He's also rich. He has a lot of money. Okay, and he's the judge. Two people are fighting, he's the judge. Now, he needs a pen. He needs a pen. So one of the two guys gives him a pen. Now, this pen costs like two cents. You know, they have banks in America where they give you the pen. They give you two pens if you want. You know, I don't know if it costs three cents, four cents, I don't know, it costs like a, probably less than that. Okay. So two people are fighting. The judges at Sadiq. He's rich. He needs a pen. So one of the two guys says, You need a pen, here's the pen. So he takes the pen and he wants to give back the pen. The guy says, Keep it. I see you need a pen, keep it, it's okay. So the judge keeps it. He's a rich guy, he's a multimillionaire. The pen is two cents. He's a tzaddik. He keeps the pen. Did he violate the prohibition of Shaykhad? Yeah. Huh? Okay. Did he violate don't take bribery? Was that a violation? Yeah. Yes, it was a violation. Right. The violation of Shaykhad doesn't matter if you're rich or you're, if the judge is rich or poor. It doesn't matter if it's a penny or a million dollars. Any amount is Shaykhan. It's bribery. And the Torah says that if someone, once he receives bribery, so the result is that it blinds the judge, the vision of the judge. It blinds him. And it twists. Yisalaf, it twists also. Now, what does this mean? Again, we're talking about a judge. He's a, a very honest person. When he took the pen, he wasn't thinking of chas v'sholem, God forbid, to twist the judgment. He wasn't thinking about that. Okay, he needs a pen. He got the pen. Two cents, big deal. It doesn't mean anything. But the tailor says, no. If you receive bribery, even two cents, even a small amount, so your vision is twisted, your, your, your decision process is now 
perverted. It's now it's not straight anymore. Okay. Now what's the reason for this? What's the reason? If it's he's a multimillionaire and it's a two cent pen, why would he get twisted and all that? So here we get to the level of Rotzei. Rotzei means will. And there's different levels of Rotzei. There's Rotzei based on a reason, different types of reasons. But then you have Rotzei not based on a reason, just a will. Now, the way people are is that people want money. That's what they want. And uh, when they get the money, right, it has a certain impact on them. Money is important to people. So when this judge receives a small bribe, not for the sake of bribery, he just needs a pen. So something happens inside the soul of this judge where he suddenly has a certain rotzen which is usually more subconscious. He's not really aware of it in his mind or in his heart, but there's something inside him that's turning towards the guy that gave him the pen. It's a subconscious, it's a rotzen which he doesn't even detect necessarily. He doesn't feel it. But there's something inside him that's already pushing him in one direction. And then when he's going to start thinking in his mind, who's, who's the tzaddik, who's the Russian in this court case? Who's going to win the case? So he's going to use his mind, he's going to try to figure out honestly who's right. In his mind he wants to be honest, but he's not going to be honest because subconsciously his mind is twisted and it's tilting in one direction and, and, and the tailor says he's invalid as, as, a, as a judge because something happened to him which he might not even detect. And what happened to him? <coughs> There's something inside him that's pushing towards one of them which he might not even realize. That's shaykhat. That, that's the power of bribery which we're going to speak more about. Yes? Is that why Chaya's more powerful than Nefesh Rosh Hashanah? Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. Couldn't yes. He, couldn't he also say that just the fact that he offered it pushed him towards him a little bit, perhaps, without the bribery being involved? I don't know. If, if you have a judge and someone offers bribery and the judge rejects it, he did not violate the prohibition of taking bribery because he rejected it. Right? That's right. That's right. Someone, someone offers... You don't take it, you're not high of that, but I'm saying it's another level. Mm-hmm. It's still influence. No, 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 it's not influence. No, you reject it. No. Now, by the way, the, the law of bribery is so deeply rooted in the person that the Gemara records situations where the, where the judge received bribery without even knowing he received it. Someone puts some, uh, some money into the pocket of the judge. Like he didn't even know about it. But the judge sensed, for some reason, he's tilting towards someone. And he says, something is wrong. 
I, I can't be a judge anymore. Then he found out that there was bribery, which he wasn't even aware of. Now, let's discuss what this means. Okay. <coughs> What's Minhaga Medina? What? It's normal that people like give stunts. So I can, I can think that um, it's not like something. It's, I can, in, in, in the bank, they give me a pen. They, they, they are not ma- making me a favor. That's something normal. Well, that's what we would think. We would think that why should it make a difference? He's a rich guy, it means nothing. That's what we would think. So Teo says, no, it's not that way. You got bribery, you think it's nothing. No, it is something. Even if you're not aware of it, that's what the Torah is teaching us. It's the same part of the neshama, of the, whatever you want, of the structure, the inside Jews that makes them, even like, for instance, Chabad goes to secular Jews, not religious Jews. And then they say there's something in the Jew that makes them want to connect, which is above just their, mm-hmm. is this the Chaya that they're talking about? Yes, 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 yes. Right? But by the way, when in the month when they gave you a pen, it's because they want to sell you. That's the whole point. I want you to remind us the experience, too. That's the whole point. It's not like, by the way, it's That's right. Now, this leads us to a very important uh, issue, a very important issue, which goes like this. Is the mind of a person objective? Now, seichel, the seichel objective. Very important question. Well, what do you no. think? Is it objective or not? The Rebbe said no, right? Everyone has a bias. Okay. Uh, any, any other? Uh, huh? Seichel objective. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> now, Seichel, intelligence, is meant to be objective. That's what it's meant to be. It doesn't mean it is. It's meant to be objective. Because that's the difference between midois, Feelings and seichel. Midas, is it objective? Is midas objective? No, it's meant to be subjective. It's the opposite of objective. Midas is what I want, what <coughs> I enjoy. That's not objective. Maybe you don't enjoy it, but I enjoy it. The seichel is meant to be objective because seichel has a mission statement. The mission statement of Seichel is what? Find out the truth. Figure things out the way they really are, not the way you want them to be, but the way they really are. That's the mission statement of Seichel. So it's supposed to be objective. That's what it's meant to be. But is it really objective? So sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Maybe usually not. It's meant to be objective, doesn't mean it is. And it really depends what your seichel is dealing with. If your seichel, if your intelligence is dealing about yourself, then it's probably not objective. Very likely it's not. If your seichel is dealing not about yourself, about something else, it probably is objective. Very likely it is. Can you give us an example? Yeah, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example like this. You have um, an educator, 
an educator, a very successful educator, a principal in a school, very successful, really understands education. People come to consult with this educator, you know, very successful, very effective. But he also has children, his own children. And he's a very good educator. Now, do you think that the talents he has in education and school is going to be effective for his own children? Do you think it's going to be effective? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You could have an educator that's extremely successful with his students in school and extremely unsuccessful with his own children. And I've seen this a lot. I've seen educators, good educators, with their own children, they don't succeed. So the question is why? You would expect if you're a good educator, <laughs> it should, if it works for students, why can't it work for your children? So the answer is like this. When it comes to students, your objective, you, you want to help them. So you could be very effective. When it comes to your own children, there's other emotions that start playing themselves out and not objective emotions. There are other emotions that this is my child, I have expectations. I want to have a certain pride in my children. There's other feelings that start playing itself out. And then this educator, this top educator, becomes bribed. His mind becomes twisted. And he can make the wrong choice by his own children because he's bribed. In school, he's perfect, expert. He knows what he's doing. With his own children, he lost it. Why did he lose it? Because he got involved, his, his own emotions, sometimes his, uh, I don't know, his pr he wants to be proud of his children, so he has expectations, he can't be a fair judge. Okay, so here you see an example where the mind of a person could be objective, you know, like this educator in school, but with his own children, not, no, he's not objective. That's why, by the way, when it comes to someone's own children, a, per, a parent should never trust themselves. It's so important always to consult. Because with your own children, you're not objective. Now, uh, Sorry. How, yeah. I understand that like, maybe it's more clear. Maybe it tends to be objective. Like it's close to objective, maybe. But how can we know that it's objective? In which case? In, in that example. How do we know that that educator, that educator, his own kids in a good way, how do we know that it was because he was objective? How do we know? Yeah. Well, we don't know for sure. That's we point. don't know for sure. But very often you see that, uh, let, let's say, let's put it this way. Maybe he was very subjective and very clever. And that's okay. Uh, that could be. That could be. But it could be the opposite. How can we know? How can we know? Yeah. Well, I'll just tell you one uh, possibility. You know, when this educator was very good, you ask the student in school, what do you say about this principal? If he's very good, 
they'll probably say, wow, wow, such, such a good teacher, such a good, I see none of you ever had such a good principal, huh? Okay. <laughs> the teachers that, the principal you know what I'm talking about. Like. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Huh? What kid likes okay, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Well, in any case, uh, without getting into details, uh, I, I've, see, I've seen principals where the students love the principal. You know, the students come, and every single student of the principal is there every morning, you know, with a smile. How are you? I'm sure you never saw that. But there are principles like that, right? And the kids, do you know that there's such a thing called kids love in school? Well, it's so strange, right? But there's such schools, you know, where the kids love school, right? They love the teachers, at least some of them, right? They love the principal, okay? There's such a thing, right? These children, you know, they're in school, they grow older, they become adults, and they remember, oh, I remember the teacher I had. Positive feelings. I remember the principal. Now, then you go to the children. Okay? The children become adults, and they say, what do, you th- what do you think about your father? He was your educator, your mother, your educator. What do you have to say? They might not tell it to you, but let's say therapy or, you know, to their friends, when they're honest, they'll come with complaints. Very often, complaints. Didn't do a good job, wasn't nice, complain. The students, the same person, <laughs> fantastic. The children, uh, complaints. Okay. That's just one example. But, but it, it, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Because this is the problem. Parents have expectations from a child. Expectations. And a lot of that has to do with the pride of the parent. And because of that, they're not objective anymore. They're very emotionally involved. They're not objective. Now, some, it's not always the case. Sometimes the parents are very successful with their children. That could also be. But I'm just telling you that you could be a good educator in school and not a good parent. Let me give you another example in, real, in life where the mind is not objective. Another example is if you visit the courts, based in, you see people are fighting. All the time there's fights. And um, you start looking, who are the people that are fighting? So some of the people are, I don't know, low class, let's call them. But some of the people that are fighting are intelligent people and good people. And you see they're fighting. And each one is convinced, convinced they're, they're right. They're both convinced. So I go over to one of the guys and I say, are you convinced you're right? 100%. I go to the other guy, are you convinced? 100%. Okay, then I have a question to each one. The question is, statistically, when two people fight, 50% of the time, they're right, 50% they're wrong. Statistically, more or less, right? So why are you saying you're 100% convinced you're right? How do you know? Statistically, so maybe your friend is right. No, but I'm convinced. Well, how are you convinced? He explains. But the other guy will explain what the other guy is right. So why are you convinced? The answer is because he's bribed. He's into himself. That's why. 
But it gets worse than that. Each one has a lawyer. Each one has a lawyer. They pay the lawyer money, right? Each one has a lawyer. The lawyers are intelligent. And here's the shocking part. Very often the lawyers are convinced that their client is correct. That's the shocking part. I don't mind the lawyer that says, I don't know if he's correct in that, but he's paying me money. I'm going to help him. That's okay. But the lawyers, very often, they're convinced their client is right. So I asked the lawyer, why are you convinced? The other lawyer that's fighting against you is also intelligent. Why are you convinced? No, I'm convinced. But the truth is, if the other guy would pay this lawyer money, he'd be convinced the other way. So the mind of the person is biased. Even when you're convinced you're right because you thought about it and it makes sense to you, it's rational. As much as you're going to say it's rational, you're biased. And this is an issue which happens by shalom bias in marriage. Two people get married, okay? First, you know, they, they love each other, they care for each other. You know what happens in America? 50% divorce rate. They get into fights. They get into fights. You know, there's courts, there's a based in, they're fighting, going to get a divorce, there's a fight. Okay, what happened? What, what, what happened? Each one has complaints against the other. Okay, so you go to each one, you say, you know, how do you know you're right? I'm convinced. Yeah, but statistics show 50% of the time you're wrong. Why are you so convinced? People are biased. When it comes to themselves, they're biased. They can't think straight. So therefore, that's one of the reasons the Rebbe says a person should have a mashpia. Mashpia and avoidus Hashem. The person needs a mashpia for shalom bayis, for chinuch of the children, even for business decisions. A person needs a mashpia. Why? Because a person is, is biased. You're thinking about yourself. You could be twisted. So there's a kalva over here. Galchem is like this. You have a judge that takes, gets a pen and he gets twisted. So when it comes to a decision of or other things, right? So how much shoychad is there? How much bribery is there? Is it just like a, a pen's worth? Five cents? How much is it? It's my taiva. You know how heavy my taiva is? It's loaded. It's worth millions of dollars. So a person is really meshuchad. So a person needs a mashpia. What if someone just, like one of the people in the court smiles at you? And then you think, oh, he must be a nicer person? Or it's only a physical transaction? Well, there, there is a law that says that when two people come to the base then, and one is, one is a rich guy, one is poor, one is dressed uh, elegantly, and the other one is, so the law is that, that, that the, the, court can, the court has to say to the rich guy, either you wear the same clothes, as the other guy, or, or give him clothes equivalent to you. Because sometimes impressions make a difference. I don't think a smile makes a difference. I don't think that's really... But other things make a difference. Okay. Sorry? Yeah. I'm a little bit confused. What's the definition of objective? Objective? Yeah, what's the definition of that? Objective means that uh, I am not a concerned party. It doesn't affect me. It's not about me. It's about... The facts. I'm trying to figure out the facts. Okay, that's objective. 
goal-oriented. Huh? It's goal-oriented. Goal-oriented? Yeah. Subjective, there's, there's more factors that are involved. Uh, okay, okay. That's what objective is. And how can we measure that? If it's really objective or not? That's the whole problem. We usually can't measure it. Yeah. People are so biased, they don't know they're biased. That's the whole point. Those, a person could be an honest person, and you, you think rationally in a certain way, you're convinced you're objective, but not necessarily. You might be bribed. Not just bribed externally. There's external bribe. There's internal bribe. I love myself. You know how, how mo- 99% of the fights begin? People fight. How does it begin? Because I love myself. So I'm biased. That's how fights begin. How you, that's the science of a fight. You know, you know, right? You love yourself. So you must not like this new self-love movement. I don't know what that is. Tell me about it. Well, I don't know what that means because a person, there is another issue which we're not talking about. There is a disease where people hate themselves or they have very little self-esteem. So if that's what it means to love yourself, that might be good to have self-esteem. But if it means that I'm the center of life, then that's questionable. But you think what he said, what can you say in relation with you need to love yourself Right. right, there's something called healthy self-esteem. In our generation, a lot of people have a low self-esteem. They're, 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 they're very insecure, and that's not healthy. That's an emotional problem. So per, and, and, and a healthy person loves themselves in a healthy way. Right? They have, they have, a, they have self-esteem, right? But that doesn't mean they're obsessed with themselves. Okay, so the tailor says you love yourself in a healthy way. Love someone else also. Same way, way. healthy way. Yeah. I don't know. The problem of over loving is more about yourself, like someone else. I'm not so sure it's a problem. Not necessarily. (laughs) I don't know that's the worst sin. I'm not so sure. Maybe it's good. Okay. Now, what this means is, what this means is, um. Let's say, let's speak about the success in learning and studying. Success in studying. What does it take to succeed in studying? Now, one ingredient is brains. You know, if you have brains, it's going to be very helpful. You have more brains, it'll be more helpful. Okay? That's one ingredient. But then there's another ingredient, which is maybe even more important. The other ingredient is rotzing. Do you want to learn? That's the other ingredient. Rotzing. So the sages say that when you make a choice where you should learn, let's say which uh, yeshiva to learn or which location where you should learn, so one of the important ways of figuring that out is where do you want to learn? Which is the place you want to why is that important? Because in the place you want to learn, you have your rotsin, your will. And if your rotsin is there, you'll succeed more. Now it's just like the judge who receives bribery is tilting, maybe subconsciously, in one direction. When we study, for example, 
if my Ratzon is tilting to learn, it will directly impact my understanding. I'll understand it better and more correctly. If I don't want to learn and I do learn, I might understand, but not the same degree of success. So this is one of the, and the same thing is true for learning and for davening and for everything we do. Now in English, I guess the word would be motivated. I guess that would be the word. Like, are you motivated? Right? Interested. Interested. Okay, right, right, right. So, 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 you, so, so you have two people with a safe opened. They're both intelligent. And one is learning and enjoying it and succeeding. The other one opens the book and is daydreaming over here, daydreaming over there, and okay, uh, you learn a little bit, but you're not there, your soul is not there. Or sometimes you're really learning and you're not wasting time, but you don't really want to learn. So when a person wants to learn, what happens next is you find more excuses to learn. If you don't want to learn, then you'll find excuses not to learn. Okay? We're all, we're, we are all experts in excuses. Okay? We all have degrees. We have a PhD. We all know how to, you know, we're experts. But it's all about the rotten. Where's the rotten? So you, you have... Uh, see, there's, there's, a, there's a certain... There's a prohibition called, you know, don't steal. You're not allowed to steal. Mm-hmm. Are there exceptions to this? Yeah. What's an exception? Okay, yeah. But, but another exception is when it comes to learning Torah and you want to steal some other times uh. for learning, so there might be a heta for that. You might find a, uh, you know, like pe- people have like a rigid system. There's something called breakfast, and there's lunch, and there's supper, and other things we do, right? Rigid, right? So is there, is it permissible once in a while to take away a couple minutes from a meal and learning Torah? You know, you steal from the time of the meal, right? We usually, we sometimes do it the other way. We steal time from learning to do other things that, that you're allowed to do, and not the opposite. But the question is, what's the Ratzin? If let's say, for example, someone, um, let's say, uh, let's say there's something called daf yoyni, right? There are people that learn every day, they learn a daf, right? Okay, now, there are people that are working, they're in business, they have jobs, okay? Some of the people that want to do it, they do it, right? And some people, after a couple pages, mm-hmm. after a couple weeks, they stop, right? What's the difference? They both really don't have time. You know, they have a family and they're working, but one has the guts and I must do it. You're always going to find excuses and ways to succeed. Okay? And sometimes you have to steal time from your sleep or other things, but, but you want to do it. You'll find excuses. You know, people learn Rambam. You learn Rambam. You know, some people, well, ah, I don't have the time. Some people are going to find the ways to do it. They have a rotsin. Okay, and th- that's, that's true for almost anything in life. Let's say you decide you want to learn a uh, mesechta. You want to learn a gemara. 
right? Ah, I can't. If you're determined and you have a rotsen, you'll succeed. But it's not just that rotsen. Rotsen opens up your mind and you'll find ways of doing it. There's also another important ingredient, and that's called siyata dishmayo, which means help from heaven, help from Hashem. When a person wants to succeed, he has a rotten and he's trying, and he doesn't even know how he's going to do it, but he has this rotten, so he gets help from Hashem in ways that you can't imagine. So someone says, I want to learn, of course, you have, of course it's important to discuss this with your mashpia. You know, I'm just taking an example. Someone says, you know, I want to <laughs> learn three plakim I want to do that, right? I don't have the time, but I want to do it. I really want to do it. So there's going to be minashamayim opportunities to allow you to do it. You won't always see it. It's going to be a struggle, but there's siyata deshamayim. That's why it says in Pirkei Avos, it's a very strong statement, Pirkei Avos. It says like this, if you are going to be mevatel Torah, wasting time from Torah, you're going to find many other reasons to, uh, there'll be man, many other things taking place where you're not going to be able to learn. Okay? In other words, the way, the way Hashem makes it is that when a person is determined to learn, then Hashem helps them out, and, and, and you find excuses, you find ways, and other headaches and problems sometimes get pushed away by Hashem. But if a person wastes his time, maybe for a good reason, maybe for a half good reason, or maybe for a bad reason, he's wasting his time, okay? Then all of a sudden, new problems pop up in life where he has no time. That's what the Mishnah says in Machiavelli. It's a powerful statement. If you're Mavatul Torah, you're going to find other reasons. That's why it says in Pilkiavis, another statement, <clears throat> whoever accepts upon himself the yoke of Malchus of Hashem, the, 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 the yoke of Torah, so Hashem removes from the person the yoke of the government, other yokes, other problems. If he accepts upon himself the yoke of, of, of learning Torah, Hashem removes other problems from him. So w- while we're at this, so let me just uh, tell you a, a uh, it's late. Uh, it's it you based Thomas tonight. Okay, so uh, there there's a yid who was in Russia. It's my my mother's uncle. Uh, this was uh, in Russia, and they wanted to draft him. His name was Shmuley, Muli, wanted to draft him to the army. And in those days, if you're a junior drafted, it was, number one, you couldn't keep kosher, do anything Jewish. And number two, if you were Jewish and, there, and there's fighting, they always put the Jews in the front. They were very anti-Semitic. So they always tried to find ways to escape the draft. So, so they, they, there were different t- techniques they used. But the, this, uh, this Shmuel, he, uh, he tried the technique, it didn't work. And, and in any case, he, he wrote to the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, 
who at that point was not in Russia, he was already in, in Europe, in Poland or in, uh, in Riga. So he had to smuggle out a letter. And he got back an answer where the Friedrich told him that whoever accepts upon himself the yoke of serving Hashem will not have the, does not have the yoke of the government. And the Friedrich said to him, he said in Yiddish, you will not be a soldier. He told him, like, don't worry about it, you're not going to be a soldier. So then he had to go to the draft and everything, but he already knew that there was no problems, even though there were some issues that happened, but at the end he was... In any case, we all have to have a lotzing to learn Torah. The next question was, how do we develop that lotzing? Okay, so that's where Yudbeis Thomas comes in. Okay, we'll stop over here.